Hi everybody, this is Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development. With our videocast, we are honoured today to have with us Dr. Kathleen Fink, who is the Distinguished Teaching Professor at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Welcome, Dr. Kathleen. So good to have you with us. Thank you, Craig, and thank you for the invitation. Now, I understand that you are semi-retired, but with all amazing, incredible people, such as yourself, you keep getting pulled back into education. So tell us about what you're doing. Well, my uh, most recent full-time employment was um, assistant dean of the College of Education at University of Missouri-St. Louis. And I tried to retire about a year ago, but I said, they're like the mafia. They keep pulling me back in. So I have a moniker, Distinguished Teaching Professor, uh, and don't get too impressed. That's just to keep me pulled back in. And I'm working on a part-time, I'm working on a full-time basis on a part-time appointment. Uh, I train principals, I train superintendents in our graduate programs, and we have some innovative pathways to the teaching profession here for our state. And I'm involved with some of those programs. So whatever they ask, it's hard to say no. Well, it certainly doesn't sound like a, a retirement that's keeping you busy. Yes, it's, it's great. It's all good. I'd love for you to share with us some of your experiences from your distinguished uh, past and particularly about turning around the, the low, in New Zealand, we say low decile, but in America, a high poverty school. I'd love for you to share with us what that was like and what you did. Well, I would say that was the hardest part of my career, about a nine-year stint and the most rewarding by far when I look back on my career now. And we have a lot, unfortunately, a lot of crime in the urban area here in St. Louis. And it was a little elementary school and I didn't have much experience as a principal, just a very little bit when I got there. And um, I've only left that school about six years. So it hasn't been that long ago. And it was, all, the kids were 96% free and reduced lunch, 100% minorities. And we were located within a several block district of the highest crime area in St. Louis or St. Louis County. So that was the context. And um, how we did it was, it really involved changing the culture of the school. And it also involved me learning a lot of lessons as a leader. When I arrived at the school, I interviewed each teacher and each staff member individually and just asked three or four questions, what needs to be done to do better for our kids, th those kind of questions. So tried to get a relationship with faculty and staff and get some themes going for what might be missing in the curriculum or instruction or assessment pieces. And um, so after that, I, I thought I had a good vision and good concrete work ideas for what needed to be done. And a lesson I had to learn as a new principal was just because I knew what needed to be done doesn't mean I would walk in the school and everybody on the faculty and staff would have, aha, here's our answer. Thank you so much. We're just going to turn around and do that right now. Well, it's not that easy. So um, I think a big lesson of leadership I had to learn was, you know, you're bringing people along. They're not where you are at necessarily. And they're ahead of you in a lot of areas, not quite ahead of you in others. 
Um, so you're bringing people along and I had to learn to work together with this fine group of teachers and make our mission bigger than the everyday. Bigger than uh, in the States, there is a lot of pressure about test scores. The kids get tested once a year and there are there's a lot of governmental pressure on many levels about kids test scores and why do our poor kids don't learn at the same rate our higher socioeconomic kids and there's a lot of pressure in the classroom and on school leaders so we had to learn to kind of turn that on its head and make our mission about bigger than that so one of the first big pieces we did was we adopted this statement of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr as our mission statement, and I'll just read it to you here. The function of education is to teach one to think intensively and to think critically. Intelligence plus character, that is the goal of a true education. So we kind of bonded together under the uh, theme of this is what we're doing. You, you know, it's not so meant, uh, much about incremental increase in math scores, although that did happen. That absolutely happened. But I learned you can't put that on first base. That, that really doesn't go on first base. The mission goes on first base. And um, we also, another, when I talked to future leaders and current leaders, we weren't anybody special. We weren't anybody special. We just persisted. I, I, I like the statement, nevertheless, she persisted or he. Uh, we just persisted. So we said, what do we need to do? What do we need to learn? And we learned how other high poverty schools achieve success. And we refused to give in to the soft bias of low expectations for our minority kids and our kids living in uh, poverty situations. And we just kept plugging at it. And we had successes and we had failures, but um, we persisted. We did adopt a paradigm uh, based on a study called 90-90-90 schools. I don't know if you're familiar with that, Craig, but it's a study that was done here in the States uh, under the Doug Reeves organization. And they studied schools that had 90% of their kids on free and reduced lunch, 90% of the kids um, are minority and that they really got to move the school to 90% of the kids proficient on the state and federal tests. And um, we didn't hit that mark, but we got very close and we got much higher than and the average scores in those tests for kids of all levels. So our students definitely became competitive with other students across the United States. And there are some tenets to that. I can go into more of that if you're interested or your audience, but um, we did adopt a few tenets and started molding our work around that. I think that's really fascinating. Um, obviously you looked outside to find examples of success, but I love that perspective of... There you go. <laughs> that's the beauty of being able to edit. <laughs> yes, but if, if, not, if we're yeah. all leaders, we know things go wrong. If you persisted, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that um, I love that perspective that you never give up. You have persistence and that 
that's that's a great attitude and a perspective to have to understand that we may not all be the smartest and have the most money and have come from the best of beginnings but if we persist it's not where we start it's where we can end up and that's a powerful thing yes i would love for you to share some of those tenants that you found most impacting in the school from the 1990 well um and i have a few funny uh I uh, committed as a new leader, uh, but it, these 90-90-90 studies, they say uh, the first tenet is the school has, it's very obvious, it has an academic achievement mission and drive, and that is what's most important in the school. That starts with the bulletin boards. How do they look? How do the displays in the school look? What are they about? You know, they're about learning and achieving. Um, It goes along with the mission statement. It goes along with um, what is celebrated in the school, what is emphasized. And also what helped us where it's one other tenet is clear curriculum choices. So we really honed down rather than going broad and wide we honed down on important uh, items in reading, mathematics, science, and social studies that elementary children should master through those five or six grades. And we narrowed down what we taught. We absolutely narrowed it down. And then it's another tenet is a quick iterative turnaround. So we would meet weekly in grade level teams, And the teachers would discuss what did we teach in the last week, what went well, what didn't, what are the kids still struggling with, and we would adjust on site for the next week. So we did quick iterative turnarounds on how the kids were doing. That's another tenant. And there are, and there's some work uh, done by Marzano here in the States. He's a big name in education, but he identified some teaching strategies that are pretty powerful for higher level learning. And we emphasize those. There are about six of those also. And as a leader, here's what you do. That is what you promote and emphasize. So for example, in the leadership position, I might say, okay, Let's focus on similarities and differences. That's a high yield instructional strategy for the next five weeks. And everything we teach in every content area, let's emphasize, let's have the students identify the similarities and differences within the content. And we had various graphic organizers and things we would do to display that. And, um, then as a leader, I would look for that. I would walk through classrooms and look for evidence that that teacher was using that high yield instructional strategy. And I would take note on the teachers and then I would go back to the group of teachers as the leaders and um, have teachers that did well with it, perhaps a model for other teachers. So it was kind of like learning what we need to learn. And then as a leader, then you have to decide how you're going to promote that in your school while keeping a positive culture, doing it with people, not to people. So those were some of the tenants at that study that we employed and they were successful for our kids. How important do you think it is to have people from inside the organization being the model 
of something that's going to work well and is working well versus having someone come in as an outside expert. Yeah, I think an outside is good to learn something new, which, uh, you know, you were saying you went outside to look for who else has done this work and how did they do it? Um, but once you kind of have that down, it's so much more important to build it inside because you're building capacity in the people on your team for excellence. You're building capacity for excellence. You're also acknowledging the people on your team. And there's a plethora in, in research on leadership, which is good in a high poverty school because you don't have money. Uh, if you want to retain your employees, recognition and acknowledgement go a long way. You know, in education, we all know we don't get the big bonuses for, for performance or, you know, children doing well. Uh, we don't get a new car or anything like that. So um, it also recognizes your internal people and their work. Another plus of that is that if the internal person is showing what they did that was effective to other folks on your team, it, they're working in your context. So it's more authentic to their colleagues. Oh, they did this here with our students. So I'm going to try this in my classroom. So I would say those are the three reasons. So it's not just in uh, K-12 education, but you've been quite a disruptor in higher education as well. Why don't you share some of your disruption? Yeah, well, um, I think in higher ed, I, um, I definitely did not fit in, but luckily that I worked with a fine group of professionals. So um, we all got along just fine. And um, I, I don't have a bad word to say about anyone I worked with or the institution, and I'm still working there. So a lot of fine people, but it is really my belief, and I, I have freely shared that across the college, that I think traditional higher education, at least how it's done in the States, um, is a dinosaur. We've used the same system for since the beginning of the United States, and we launched into higher education. The Carnegie Seat Time Unit of Credit and how we organize the knowledge base how we deliver the knowledge base, how st our students prove they've learned the knowledge base. Um, I think the whole system is just a little antiquated. And, and what I've shared with colleagues is if we don't change in higher education, we're going to die out like the dinosaurs did. So sometimes that's not real popular, <laughs> but um, we've had many discussions and I, I had the pleasure of leading an innovation center in the College of Education. And it was called the Ed Collabitat. And our motto was professional creativity, revolutionary education. And we would bring in educators and we would try to creatively problem solve. Uh, issues in the field in K-12 education. And we learn techniques to work with groups and spark creativity and hone down on certain ideas and um, then help implement. We also started many innovative programs of our own and went out to schools. We have several innovative pathways to earn teacher certification that are housed within the College of Education. We would work with those. We had a very successful education entrepreneur in residence program 
And that was where we took folks, uh, most of them practitioners in education who had ideas, perhaps for a new tech program or a new way to teach reading, or um, some folks had innovations for mini computers or mini robots that would be less expensive than the regular robotics that kids or high school students are using now and younger. Um, and we got that funded and were able to foster several education entrepreneurs that later earned national attention and are still out there. So that's the kind of work we did that you typically don't see in higher education. Um, the, the traditionalist in higher ed would say there's no place for that kind of program in higher ed. You know, it's about research, finding new knowledge, disseminating that new knowledge, reaching out to practice would also be included. But um, those are the kind of things where I think we were kind of disruptive in our innovative pathways to teaching. Uh, we attempted to offer those in modular, module, that's hard to say though, modularized format. So it would be smaller chunks of knowledge rather than teachers learning how to teach reading. You have one semester or two semesters back to back. Here's how you teach reading or here's how you teach high school physics. Um, rather than that, we would kind of chunk the information and disperse it out with through the teacher preparation program. So it could be more of a clinical model where the teacher starts teaching and then by October or November, oh, now I'm ready for round two, how to teach physics. Now I'm, and kind of doing it, what teachers need when they need it um, and dispersing uh, different content throughout a teacher preparation program and trying to make it more of a clinical approach. So those are the kind of disruptive things we did. And I haven't been totally kicked out yet. So it's all good. I, it sounds that it's more of a scholarship of teaching and learning approach, where it's really yes. focused on the teaching and learning and getting peer feedback and getting the yes. research in there and then contributing to knowledge by sharing yes. what works and what doesn't work. Yes. Absolutely, you know, it's that bridge between, I would say the programs we have, the bridge between uh, research knowledge and practice is much more iterative. It's not as research here, practice there. Our programs really try to meld the two. You know, when you look at how do we prepare nurses? How do we prepare physicians? Those are clinically based mm. models. Well, people are kind of out there doing yes. the work, coming back in. And that's kind of how we tried to model our programs. Brilliant. That's one of the features of the New Zealand education system, how we train teachers, is we have a lot of practicums when Wonderful. people are out in schools and doing application. Yes. And um, I, I was trained through that system. I found my most valuable times was in the classroom. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, yeah. we, we don't, we learn by doing just like our students mm. do. Dr. Kathleen, just in the couple of minutes that we have left, I'd love for you to share your wisdom for aspiring leaders, maybe those that are early in their career and looking to move up or someone who's already in leadership but looking for that next step. What would be something that they should put into place in their experiences going forward? I would say, um, but, you know, there's the personal cultural piece. Number one, if as a new leader, it's not about you. 
It is not about you. And you're obviously a very talented individual. You've been drawn to leadership or circumstances have drawn you to it. So the first lesson you have to learn is it's not about you. It's about your ability to communicate with people, to live true to your mission, and then bring other people aboard. So that would be one thing I would say. And live true to your mission. You know, if you say all children can learn, don't let your faculty see you give up on that at some point. So that would be the first advice. It's not about you. Live true to your mission. And it's about your ability to communicate with people and bring them along. So that would be the first lesson I would say. The second lesson I would say is everybody stumbles. Everybody stumbles. And I didn't tell all my stumble stories, but um, boy, I've had some doozies along the way. And if you don't stumble, you're not doing anything, correct? That's right. So That's right. Yes. And if you really want to move up, as Craig just agreed, if, if you want that next promotion or that next, you can't be afraid to stumble. If you want to stand out from the group of candidates or be noticed by your superiors, you can't be afraid to stumble. That'd probably be those two things. I think that's powerful. Dr. Kathleen, I do want to thank you for your time, sharing your wisdom. And you're writing a book, aren't you? Well, I am, it's titled tentatively, Eight Years of My Heart, The True Story of Leading a High Poverty School. Because when I did leave the school, like I said, about six years ago now, it was like sending a child I birthed off to college. It was so hard that my heart was really there. My heart was really there. And you've heard those uh, stories. A teaching is more of a heart than an art or, you know, there are little sayings out there. So um, it's about that. It, it's kind of... A, a bigger version of some things you and I talked about, Craig, and then mm. some other things, feelings, how we dealt with um, socioeconomic differences between the staff and faculty and our community, how we bonded with the community, how we dealt with issues of racial differences, um, getting deeper into some of those issues too. Mm. Well, depending for our viewers and our listeners, depending on when you see or hear this, uh, we will have the link to the book directly underneath in the description as well. And uh, information about how to contact Dr. Kathleen as well. So Dr. Please. Kathleen, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Craig. And uh, keep up the fantastic work you're doing. I look forward to learning more about it.